0: and welcome to Diffusion, the international science show. I'm Mark West, and on this edition of Diffusion, we will explore deep-sea ecology with Lachlan Watmore and ghost-busting with Jackie Peffer. But first up, here's the news with Matt Clark.
1: Botanists in Norway... Plan on replicating the fable of Noah's Ark. The difference this time being that instead of animals, they will only be taking two of every plant. Or more accurately, two million of every plant. The plants in seed form will be placed in the global seed bank, located in the very remote and very cold island of Svalbard. Located only 1,000 kilometers from the North Pole, this site was chosen because even in the event of an electrical failure at the storage facility in the middle of summer, the seeds would remain frozen, with outside temperatures only reaching a chilly minus 4 degrees Celsius. The purpose of this storage facility is to retain a bank of seeds in case of a catastrophe that may wipe out the local population of particular plants, either through war, natural disasters, or even things like genetic modification. The ark will be open to all countries to store their seeds, and is due to be completed in September 2007. In lobster news, it seems that some of these tasty little guys are able to tell when others around them are sick. Studies by Old Dominion University in Norfolk have shown that the Caribbean spiny lobster is able to tell when another lobster is infected by a particular virus, and will steer clear so it doesn't become infected itself. The virus in question, known as the Paneleris Argus virus 1, is particularly nasty, causing a slow death by the continuous reduction in metabolic rate until the infected crustacean eventually dies. Remarkably, the lobsters are able to detect this virus in others, even when there are no symptoms present. This is extremely beneficial as the species often live together in crowded communal dens where viruses could spread very quickly, wiping out regional populations. Sadly, the method of detection is still unknown. And lastly, NASA has given the all clear for the launch of space shuttle discovery in about a month's time. The shuttle was rolled out onto its launch pad on May 19 after being grounded in July last year following continued problems with insulation debris falling from the fuel tanks. The space agency has spent over two years and hundreds of millions of dollars trying to overcome the problem that caused the destruction of the shuttle Columbia and the death of its seven crew in February 2003. Manager of the shuttle program N. Wayne Hale Jr. says that they have been able to modify the design to with acceptable risk levels. but. NASA officials and even the astronauts themselves maintain that the shuttles will always be dangerous to fly. The shuttles are due to be decommissioned at the end of 2010 and will need to fly a mission every three months until this deadline to maintain the construction schedule on the International Space Station. The, sh- the shuttle Discovery has, however, so far avoided threats of legal action by a cable channel of the same name, unlike a certain science radio show I know.
0: You may have lived in some pretty unlivable sharehouses and caravan parks in your college years. Here's Lachlan Watmore with a journey through one of the most inhospitable places on Earth, the ocean floor.
2: The abyssal sea floor, located on average two and a half kilometres below the surface of the ocean, is not a pleasant neighbourhood. It's pitch black, freezing cold, and the pressure is 250 times that of the atmosphere at sea level. You'd hardly call it an easy place to live. And yet creatures exist there due to life's extraordinary capacity for adaptation. In the vast majority of abyssal habitats, animals nourish themselves on each other, on fallen detritus from the upper water column or on mats of bacteria common on hard surfaces such as dead shells and rocks. Without light, marine plants don't grow, so that first link in the food chain doesn't exist. Under these conditions, it's no wonder that life in the great depths is like life in the desert, impoverished and slow. Imagine then in 1976 the amazement of the researchers manning the deep sea research submarine Alvin from the Woods Hole Oceanographic Institute in Massachusetts when they discovered abyssal habitats which, in terms of numbers of animals, approached that of a coral reef. While exploring the hydrothermal vent communities off the Galapagos Islands, Alvin found creatures who had bypassed the food chain and had established a new form of primary production or the first link in the food chain which in sunlit habitats is provided by plants incredibly it appeared that these animals were producing organic material from an inorganic source or in this case soup species included clams mussels crabs and the amazing and previously undiscovered vestimentiferans a large hooded tube dwelling worm which turned out to be an entirely new class of animal so where do these beasts get their energy and nourishment the secret lay in two parts one the neighborhood and two the neighbors The neighbourhood is the area around the hydrothermal vents, located on the spreading ridges of oceanic plates. Here the Earth's crust is thin and seawater is saturated with sulphides, carbon dioxide and methane due to geological activity. The neighbours are bacteria from the genus Beggiatoa, who had evolved the neat trick of fixing carbon dioxide and methane into organic compounds such as amino acids, fats and carbohydrates ready for use in nourishing living systems. They did this using the energy from the sulphide compounds, or for the chemists listening, they used the sulphides as an oxidising substrate. Alvin discovered that the clams, mussels and worms had formed a mutually beneficial relationship with the Begia letting them live in their tissues while collecting their excess nutrients. In this way they not only survived, but thrived, causing much jaw dropping when discovered. Not only had these communities created an oasis on the, on the barren abyssal plain, they had done so using a unique form of primary production unknown anywhere else at the time of discovery. A new word was coined to describe the nutrition of these animals. chemoautotrophy. Chemo, chemical, auto, self, trophy, method of feeding. Now, some people may say big deal. All right, living off the crud that gets ejected from hydrothermal vents may not be the most glamorous lifestyle for a marine animal, but it's a living.
0: That was Lachlan Watmore going searching for the Little Mermaid.
3: How could you give what you never had? How could you? And only the black man feels And any rights he has today He had to fight for it in every way Australia is a place you know Where you could buy a gun To murder a man A human being of this country If not for brother. Eddie Marbo Who made you face The truth you know You try anyway To get away You're only giving Injustice How could you give What you never had How could you give What you never had You never had no love Or no justice Tune you know. Blank in the blanket, smallpox in the blankets, murder, murder, yeah, yeah. How could you give what you never had? How could you give what you never had? You never had no love or no justice. You never had no love or no justice. How could you give what? Freedom fighters like pick and white and Who fight you yeah this blood system The blood system The blood system How could you give what you never had
0: You're listening to the Resurrectors with no justice The Resurrectors are giving a free live concert with dancing in a barbecue On the 11th of June from midday till 4 at the Redfern Community Centre Hugo Street, aka The Block. Now we've all got ghost stories. Back when I was younger, I could always feel this presence in my bedroom. It used to be able to take control of me during the night where I wouldn't be able to even move. Uh, I used to be able to think that I was screaming out for help and this being, this thing that looked kind of like ET which was hovering somewhere near the light in my room would take control of me. Now, since then, I kind of looked into the science of it and it might be because of sleep paralysis that I was having these fears because that's something where you can't quite wake up from your dreams and you can't move your body's still paralyzed because of sleep so that might have been something some explanation for it but Jackie you might have some more explanations about these ghost stories
4: well I'm glad that you shared your ghost story because I have a ghost story too I was staying in Japan um, in the same room that there was an altar set up to the grandparents the deceased grandparents of the family that I was staying with I woke up in the middle of one night and from the top corner of of the room that I was staying in, I heard an elderly couple having a conversation. Yeah, admittedly, it was all in Japanese, so I couldn't understand what they were saying. Um, and there were another set of grandparents living in the in the building, but but I'd like they didn't to have think an intercom in the room, did they? <laughs> someone had left on. I don't know. Maybe they were, you know, trying to freak me out. But I I would personally like to think that I was in the in the presence of ghosts because I do believe in ghosts.
5: Uh, I also have a ghost story. It's about. Uh, taking photographs of a ghost my cousins once were snapping the house of their dead grandmother and when they went to develop the photos apparently walking in the background of these photos you can see a person walking so Mm. but this isn't the uh crazy psycho show that you've tuned into this this is Is there is there science behind what we're well, well, all these experiences?
4: It, it's kind of interesting that 75% of the people that are here in the studio this, uh, this morning have been touched by some form of ghost, and like I said, I, I believe in ghosts, so it's got me looking into what the scientific community is doing to answer our questions, do ghosts exist? So, as you do, I headed to HowStuffWorks.com. Good site. Great Great site and I was looking at what they have to say into the investigations of the paranormal. Now, you might think that ghost-busting is a bit of a pseudoscience or, you know, a witch-hunt, as they say. But if we're taking a scientific approach to answering this question and to finding out if ghosts exist, is it science? I think so. I think if we're looking What kind of scientific approach?
5: Like, surely at some stage, though, if can you prove that ghosts don't exist like if you don't get a signal if you don't see them like is it possible to disprove that hypothesis would would you accept that actually ghosts don't exist
4: i i would if there was conclusive proof but i think at the at the moment there is no conclusive proof that ghosts exist or don't exist well you, just, can but, totally but you, can, you can never totally disprove something you can never totally disprove something no you're right but out there, there, there are paranormal investigators who are looking at these different issues, bringing their different tools from the scientific committee, and try to look at different approaches to sort of answer these questions. Now, a lot of these instances are claims of the paranormal, and by going into into a situation and looking at it, there is some very, very logical explanation as to what's going on, and we can sit there and go, well, you know, that's not a ghost sitting up there in your in the corner of your bedroom that's just an open window playing with the blinds right. um, or that's not blood that's coming down the walls that's just rust from the tin roof above you <laughs> um, but things sort of tools that are being used by the scientists or these paranormal investigators um, they're taking things like different cameras um, both video cameras and photography cameras uh, with different functions like night vision using microphones and audio recording equipment, Geiger counters and some of the, some of the things that are believed Geiger, to counters. Geiger, counters. Geiger counters do, do they yeah. think that ghosts radioactive. are radioactive Well some of the, some of the signals that they believe might indicate the presence of a ghost are things like magnetic um, magnetic electric and radiomagnetic wave differences and fluctuations in readings within an area might indicate the presence. I suppose they'd
1: have to be some form of energy, wouldn't they? Yeah,
4: well, well that's, that's the theory, that a, a ghost is some kind of energy, whether it's from um, just, a, just a spirit there or, or a feeling or a sense. So they're bringing all of these different tools in. Some, some are go- opting for the more traditional forensic investigator kit.
0: What about uh, some of the techniques using Ghostbusters the movie? Are these being used in real life? I, I don't
4: I've, I've heard that <laughs> that there's a big
5: marshmallow man attacking <laughs> yeah. major cities around the world.
0: Ghostbusters. W- walking
4: around <laughs> finding gust- uh, ghosts and sucking them into a nice big vacuum. But it also got me thinking on, on my personal ghost story, and it's a pity that I wasn't set up for, for this at the particular time that I was in Japan. But there's a, there's a theory called EVP, which is electronic voice phenomena. And I've there, heard of there, this. Yes, there are, there are people who, whole committees that go into the field taking different audio recording equipment and record. they go, in, go into somewhere like a haunted house or somewhere that's believed to be haunted and, and take audio recordings which they then later listen to and you can hear different, different sounds. Is this sort
5: of when they look for white noise?
0: Yes, that's what I was going to say. There are people that look uh, in the static Mm, of television programs, detuned televisions. Well, well
4: they they found some things like sometimes it's like a little sound clip, which is just the same sound clip repeated over and over again. But there there are those that believe they've gone out into the field and asked questions and had those questions answered back when they've listened back to the tape and cleared out some of the background noise. So it's a a shame that I wasn't set up at my visit to Japan with with these equipments. So while there hasn't been any conclusive evidence that ghosts do exist, um, I'd still like to believe that if we we keep chasing these hunches, that maybe someday something will come out of it and we'll find some glimmer of explanation as to what's happening in the paranormal. But just remember, there was a time when the proposal that the Earth was round was considered preposterous. So who knows where life will take us? Are the deceased trying to contact us or is there perhaps a simpler explanation into these paranormal events?
0: Ghostbusters gave us that great quote from Bill Murray, which was, Back off, man. I'm a scientist. Now, one scientist not to mess with is Matt, and he's got some interesting blimp news for
1: us. Well, I'm I'm sort of not really a scientist. I I once owned a um, a Dick Smith, one of those electrical kits, but that's about as far as I went. Um... (laughs) Trolling through the the science journals uh, today, I found something interesting. A particular picture looked like a um a swollen tick with little dangly legs. If you've ever seen the ticks pictures on the at the vets, uh, you'll know what I mean. It's called a heavier than air aircraft. You need you've all heard of light than air aircraft like okay blimps, the the Hindenburg craft like that. This is a heavier than air version. It's called an Eros craft, and it's the aircraft that caught my attention this afternoon. Basically, the idea behind it is that only 60% of the lift is provided by helium, whereas of course in lighter than air ships like Blimps, the Hindenburg, 100% of the lift comes from. What's
5: the rest of the lift from?
1: Well, it's come from these little dangly bits, for want of a better word, winglets, (laughs) canards. The
5: dangly bits you're talking about with the tick?
1: Yes, sort of, yes. But little winglets come off the side, little ones off the front which provide um, stabilisation uh, called canards, and on the back you have tail fins, they provide the rest of the lift, the, the rest of the, um sixty forty 40%. Mm. Good I maths, maths. AMS1. Yeah. The um, 40%. Um, it also, um, the lift is also provided by vertical takeoff engines, which is how it takes off and lands vertically. But
4: so why is it that we need a heavier-than-air air, aircraft? What are, we, what are we doing with this?
1: Why don't we need one? Because the, they're cool.
4: <laughs> okay.
1: Apart from looking... Um, well, I won't say grotesque, but yes, I will. They, apart from looking really crap, they do have a lot of benefits. Namely, they can hold 250 passengers, including a casino, sleeping quarters, and shops, and all the kind of stuff that they're thinking about That's why
5: we need it, Jackie. I I take (laughs) back my previous question. Mm. (laughs) There's not enough room on the ground for casinos. We need them in the sky. We
1: need them in the sky. But you can also sleep in them. It'll be like uh, catching a a long-distance train. You'll have sleeping quarters. Uh, You'll be able to go down the shops, have a bar. The problem is, though, they don't go too fast. It only has a top speed of about 250 k's an hour. But as I said before, it does have massive lifting capacity. It can take up to 250 passengers or 500 tonne of cargo. So the freight carrying capacity of these things is gonna be massive. Um,
4: So does
5: this mean no more road trains?
1: Not necessarily, because you can't really land them in the loading bay of Woolies. Oh, but
5: didn't think about that problem, no.
1: (laughs) But it has really excellent capacity for military applications, for example, a whole company of, um, of troops, around about 200 troops, all their equipment, all their support, the fuel, the rations, the water, all their ammunition, all the stuff they need to hit the ground running with, they could take in one aircraft and they can land it anywhere they want. Except the w- Woolworths. Woolworths. Except, yeah, unless <laughs> they happen to be fighting in the, the loading bay of Woolworths. But um, the, the one problem, though, is they will be greatly affected by wind. You can imagine they do pretty much look like a blimp, so you can imagine how wind would affect them. So as long as where they're going isn't particularly windy, they're fine. One would what imagine a blimp's pretty easy to spot as well. You could probably shoot it down.
5: What I was going to say was how how easily are they to shoot down out of the air? Well, Especially if they're heavier than air, so they're naturally sink. It all depends what you're sink. shooting
1: them with. Because if you're shooting them with um, like a missile, it might actually go straight through. Um, yes, it'll put, it's going to put a hole in it, but that yeah, would it's not going to it's not like, going to crash. Down. If it hit oh. if it hit a hard point, there are hard points. like the top part of the, the skin is is hard, solid. But because it's uh, doesn't have like wings, it's doesn't. It's not relying on airspeed to keep it up like a plane is. And the loss of uh, a control surface, it's not going to fall to the ground like a plane would. It's still fall to the ground, but it's not going. It's probably not going to kill everyone on board. Ah. Oh. What are, What else was cool about them? Mm. yes
5: any applications other than military Matt and the shopping and the casino apart from the, the
1: casino and sleeping and not really it's, it's more it's really going to be a, like a floating cruise ship I suppose you could call it mm. it's going to take a. To, if you were to go coast to coast in the US it's going to take you about 18 hours where I think it only takes about uh, 6 or so with conventional aircraft at the moment
0: so we could do a bit of a Contiki tour on one of these you things you could
5: do it's a the a bit of a especially uh,
1: when it uh, has yeah. the sleeping quarters the
0: party tour how good's that <laughs> and being drunk at Alco- yes. altitude as well
3: how good's that